Well, good morning, Hope Fellowship. My name is Jeff Brewer. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to be able to be back here at Glenbard East. Uh, thanks to everyone who's been working so hard, coming so early on Sunday mornings to get everything set up. We've got a little bit more light this week, which is exciting. Last week, kind of it was kind of half lit and things, and so um, we're so glad to be able to be here. We're glad to have opportunity with the school. I was just thinking this week, you know, already. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm already li- ready to listen to Christmas music. And so I, uh, I, I was thinking about Advent, as I know all you are, and I was thinking about our Advent services and kind of what are we going to think about, how are we going to, what am I going to preach and, and things. And then I thought, you know, it'd be great. We're going to be, we're back here in the school. We'll be able to have the, hopefully the Glenbardis Choir join us again, like we've done for so many years. And so um, I know things aren't back to normal, and I know there's still a lot of suffering going on, but I'm, la- I'm glad at least one thing feels somewhat normal to be able to be back here together as a church family. And so um, I invite you to turn to the book of Galatians. We're going through the book of Galatians this fall, written by the Apostle Paul, probably one of his first letters, written in about 13 or 14, 15 years after Jesus died on the cross. And so uh, it's a letter to the people of Galatia, which is in present day central Turkey. And so I'm going to read a passage of scripture we're going to focus on. We'll really spend almost all of our time this week on verse 16 and next week on verse 20. But I'm going to read verses 15 through 21 of Galatians chapter 2. So listen as I read and then we'll, I'll pray and we'll jump in. Paul's writing, and he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Would you pray with me? Father, what a privilege it is to be able to sit here and to stand here and to delight in truth about your son and what he's done on the cross for us. We know there have been many people throughout the ages who have found great hope in these very verses when they recognize that they are not guilty because of what Jesus has done for them. And so, Father, I pray for everyone here, wherever someone might be coming from, Lord, whether they're here for the very first time, first time in church in their whole life, or whether they've been attending church, whether they've been a Christian for a long time. Father, I pray that these words from your word would be encouraging. The words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, as I just prayed, if you're here for the first time this morning, you've come on a good Sunday. 
because we're going to talk about the most important topic that the Bible talks about, that really the whole Bible is aiming towards, how someone can be made right with God. But I'm not going to normally, I'm not, I normally would begin with an illustration or a story that kind of helps us kind of center our minds, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I want us to jump right in, but I want to tell the kids who are with us. First of all, kids, I've been so glad to have you in us the, during this pandemic, and you've, the older kids you've been, you've been listening so well, we're glad that you're here engaging. I love to see your pictures that you draw. We're glad that you're here. And I'm going to end, I just want to tell the kids here today. I'm going to end with a story about a boy and a BB gun. And I know if I were sitting here as an 8-year-old or a 9-year-old or 10-year-old boy, that I would, that would have been a story that would have interested me very much. So you're going to have to wait till the end, and I want you to be paying close attention so that you can know why Dave White and his BB gun helps to teach us about Jesus. But in order to get there, I wanted to look at really just one point. Or, or more accurately, one word here this morning. The essential truth that every Christian needs to understand. And then I want to apply it through this illustration and then talk about how that might apply in our lives. And so my whole goal here, my whole aim this morning as I talk through God's word here in Galatians chapter 2 is that we all understand this one word and in understanding it more that it leads to greater assurance for you and greater peace. So here's, here's kind of the main point, my one point here this morning. Justification, kind of a, a religious word we don't use all that much, justification, the essential truth every Christian must understand. Justification, the essential truth every Christian must understand. And so now Paul's been showing us here, and we won't go into all of this right now, and we'll come back to it more next week when we look at verse twenty. But Paul has been showing us through the book of Galatians thus far that the good news of Jesus, it doesn't depend on being ethnically Jewish or following Jewish customs as some of the false teachers that were in Galatia were starting to teach. And so in verse 15, he kind of starts with a statement that might seem a little out of place if you're not up in the context here. And he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And what he's talking about, he's talking about he and Peter, himself and Peter, that they both grew up Jewish, they both were a part of the nation of Israel, they were included in God's people, and they were separate from the Gentiles that the Jews would have deemed unclean or sinful. So they're saying, he says, I know we're, we're Jewish, we're not a part of what people would call the sinners, the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, and what Paul's doing in saying it that way, maybe a little bit offensively, is he's baiting the trap and he's going to use it in his argument as he continues to go on that he was trying to make the point that Jesus plus Jewish uh, adherence to Jewish customs is not how someone is saved because he, what he's doing is he's wanting to show that it's not just Gentiles who need good news. It's Jews as well. It's not just Jew and Gentile. It's all people who need this good news of Jesus. And that leads him to verse 16, which is really what we're going to focus on here this morning and where we find this one word often repeated here. Look again at verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
So even though he and Peter grew up Jewish, they're now believers in, Jew- in, in Jesus, and they're saying, and he says it three times here, it's not the law that justifies them, that makes them right. And we'll come back to it. We'll define what, what justification means in just a moment here. But it's not the law that's making them right before God. So three times he's repeating. You, do you notice that here? We know that person is not justified by works of the law, and then he says, so we, all, uh, we believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So he's trying to be very clear here, it's not through the law like the Jewish teachers might have been saying. Now, you might be scratching your head and you might be wondering, well, what does, it mean? What does justification mean though? That's not a word I, I use all that much. And before we define it, though, we have to understand two things about why the works of the law don't help us. Why, he says three times, the works of the law can't justify us, why they can't save us. And the first reason is that we have to understand this is God is judge. God is judge. From beginning to end in the Bible, God is described in legal terms. Now, he's described in in kind of... uh, sanctuary terms as well, that he is holy. There's words that are kind of talking about being cleansed. And so some would say maybe there's kind of almost like hospital language because he is, he, he is a healer, but he is also described very clearly as a judge. And so there is a picture of a courtroom. And he, he's not like the supposed gods of the other nations who are always fickle and changing, kind of trying to decide kind of who is, um, who is how do we appease this God or not? I, I actually thought about the movie, this is, an, this is gonna date myself, you remember the movie, probably don't, Joe versus the Volcano with Tom Hanks? Like he spends the whole movie thinking that he's going to kind of jump into a volcano to kind of appease these gods of these people. And, and they're so fickle, the gods are so fickle and changing and, and so often around the world, there are people that are just trying to figure out what do I need to do to I, so I can help to understand how God is going to accept me. How is everything going to be right? Do I need to give more money? Do I need to do things better? Do I need to give some sort of sacrifice? What is it? But what we see in Scripture, in the Bible, is he is judge means that we can rely on him to always call sin what is sin and evil what is evil and good what is good and right what is right so that he never changes. And so God being judge should be a very relaxing position for us because we can say, okay, so there are, he knows the rules. He knows his character. He is the basis. There's no rationalization in him. There's no shades of gray in his judgment. It's not as if God is saying, well, most of the time that's wrong, but it's, it kind of depends. He'll bring, he is, good, he is, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so what that means is that he is righteous. He always does what is right. Now, think about it this way, maybe. If you were in the cockpit with a pilot and with all the switches and screens and, and levers, and the pilot says to you, we're about to hit turbulence. You're gonna kind of adjust your, your seatbelt and you're gonna be ready for it because you're gonna trust him because you have no idea um, that you're about to hit turbulence. You trust him that he's the pilot and he knows what he's doing. But sadly, even though we would like react that way if we were with a pilot, we don't treat the God of the universe in the same way. We can actually say, if God says, you know, actually, here's the way things are, we can say, oh, yeah, really? Give me the controls. 
You know, it's, it's just as absurd as if we grabbed the controls of the, of the plane and said, well, I'll move us around the, the turbulence. I'll, you don't know what you're talking about, even though we had no idea. We're going to find out very quickly. We really don't know how to fly a plane. So what we have to realize is all of us, because of sin, we hold God at arm's length very naturally because of the sin in our hearts, and we, we challenge his judgments. We challenge the fact that he is judged. You might, you might be sitting here and you might be saying, oh, well, I, you know, I came to church here this morning and I thought they'd be talking about God as judge and here it is, right out of the gate. He's talking about God as judge. But I hope it's gonna be an encouragement to you by the time we get done because what you, we need to realize is actually all of us treat ourselves as the judge. All of us judge very naturally every single day of our lives what is right and wrong. In fact, at the core of what's going on in our country are competing moral judgments. Both sides think they are morally right. But more than this, whether we recognize it or not, we want God to be the judge. When we see injustice out in the world, we want to know that there is someone or something out there that's going to be able to put it all right, to fix it to wonder why is the world broken the way it is and how can it get fixed. And so the fact that God is the judge is encouraging to us because God is holy and pure, which means he is always going to do things in accordance with his character. He's never going to sin. And so what that means is he is completely predictable in the sense that we don't have to wonder or worry, what is it, that, how do I get into a right standing with God? Now, you might not know the answer to that question right now. You might be saying, well, how do I get into a right standing with God? And that's where Paul's going. But you're not, what's, what the good news is, because God is judge, you're not left wondering uh, what it is, like you might have with a boss who criticizes you for some things, and then the exact same situation praises you, and you wonder, kind of, which is it? What am I supposed to do? That's not how God is. I mean, one verse here we can look at, not Psalm 9, uh, verse 7 and 8. But the Lord sits enthroned forever, so he's king. He has established his throne, so he's king, and what purpose is he gonna have? For justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. And so even though it might be an encouragement that God is the judge, when God, and God judges someone or some, when they do wrong, the fact that God judges the world with righteousness creates a huge problem for all humanity. It creates a huge problem because God is judge and he requires all people to act according to his law. And when we don't, we have a problem, which really leads us to the second thing that we under, need to understand and to grasp what justification means is since God is judge, we're in trouble. Since God is judge, and since he is holy, since he is always pure, since he judges sin, and since all people have sinned and fallen short of his glory, we're in trouble. And so in order to understand being made right with God, to be justified, we have to understand fundamentally that the problem, everyone, including us, is under God's judgment because of sin. As we've been saying, as we've been going throughout Galatians, it's faith in Jesus alone that brings salvation. And that's what Paul is talking about right here in Galatians 2. So let's start to understand why. Look at John 3.36. John 3.36. 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so because we live in a world that's under the dominion and power and of sin and darkness, those apart from Jesus, those who don't believe in Jesus, it says that they still have the wrath of God remaining on them. So, so what John is telling, what Jesus is telling us in, in John is, is judgment is not just coming, it's here. And for all those who are apart from Jesus, if there was to be an end of all things right now, there would be judgment and there would be punishment for all those who are apart from Christ. So it's not the degree of sin that makes someone under the judgment of God, it's the presence of sin and being in a world that is marked by sin. And so, that's all the backdrop of what Paul is writing about here in Galatians. And he's wanting to make sure, and we need to understand just the horrible predicament that we are in as a world so that we can understand the beauty and the freedom that comes in this one word, justification. And so, you know, so Paul says it's not by the law. Think of it like this, and we've said this, I've used this illustration before, and it's not unique to me. Uh, the law is like an MRI machine. So you realize something's wrong, doctor tells you to go get an MRI or a CAT scan, and that MRI can do nothing to heal you. Nothing. All it does is point out that you have cancer or that you have a problem. You know, if, you're gonna, if you think you're gonna go sit in that little tube and, in the MRI and think you're gonna be healed when you come out of the tube, you're completely wrong because it, only, it doesn't heal, it only reveals. And that's what the law does that God gave. God gave his law that in some ways revealed himself and it was pointing out, here are things that if you do these things, you are actually acting in a way that is against me. And it's, if you act in a way against my law, you're guilty. And so this is the trap that Paul was baiting at the beginning. He, he's telling the Jews, you've got the law. They loved the law. They were wanting to say, well, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but it's Jesus plus the law. It's Jesus plus obedience. It's Jesus plus kind of obe obeying the commands of the ritualistic laws like circumcision. And so what he's saying is because Jews had the law and because they didn't obey it perfectly, what Paul is wanting them to see is you are yourselves in a big heap of trouble. You're just as bad as all these so-called quote, sinners, the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And so Paul's wanting them to know, look, this isn't just for people out there, and we need to bring those people out there to understand the Jewish customs. This actually is pointing to us to a big problem we have that we need a solution to. So everyone has the presence of the cancer of sin. Every single person on this planet. Some people, if you, if you notice, some people, they don't really care that it's there. They, they don't want the MRI. They don't want to know that it's there. Other people feel the weight of the sin. They're crushed by it. They're burdened by it. And yet, they just struggle it off, shrug it off. It's like, that's just life in this world. Just how the world works. I just might as well not kind of eat, drink, be merry. This is just the way it is. But others find out. They kind of, there's sin there. And they start to say, I recognize that in my own heart. I see that in my own life, and so I'm desperate for a cure. So the question is, are you desperate to know the cure for what is wrong in this world and what is wrong in your own heart? 
And that is the, the answer that we find in justification. The answer is Jesus and why he came. So let's look again at verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but how? But through faith in Jesus Christ. So, also, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so he's saying, if you're not justified by the law, how are you justified? It's by faith in Jesus. So here's the definition of justification. To be justified simply means to be declared righteous. It's, it's a courtroom term. It's, it's a legal term. It, it would have, there's two legal states that exist, condemnation and justification. To, to be condemned is to be declared guilty of sin and under a penalty. And the Bible's very clear that apart from a knowledge of who Jesus is and apart from justification, we're all under this sentence in this world because of sin. And so to be justified is to be declared righteous. It's to, to be declared innocent of all charges. It's to be released from the penalty of the charges against you because you've been declared righteous or you've been declared innocent. Now, look, it does, justification doesn't make someone good and then it's not as if God's like kind of like bippity-boppity-boo, you're justified and then that person is good in themselves. It's a legal declaration and this is important because it's God saying not guilty. In the same way that when you're sitting in a courtroom and you're under the condemnation of you're, you're guilty and you're sitting there, the judge is able to release you from underneath that and declare you innocent, acquitted that you are acquitted of all charges, you are free to go. Now there's more that's happening in our salvation. There's forgiveness, there's cleansing that's happening, but at the core right here to be justified, this is right at the heart of it because there is a releasing from the bondage of sin and releasing of this guilty condemnation that we're under. under. You've, your legal status has changed from that of guilty criminal to free child of God legally justified. So how does that justification happen? This is the heart of Paul's argument. He says, so since someone is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. And so this is where it's, we're justified, we're declared righteous because we believe in Jesus. Well, what is it we're believing about Jesus? Is it just that we're believing that Jesus was a good person? That Jesus was a moral man? Do we just believe that Jesus existed 2,000 years ago? Do we just believe that Jesus was a good teacher? Do we just say that Jesus was a good and righteous person, that he was the most holy man that ever lived? All those things might be true on one level, but the faith that justifies us in the eyes of God and what makes God declare us righteous, the faith in Jesus is because of what Jesus came to accomplish for us. And so, we're, un we're under the condemnation of sin. Jesus was condemned for sin and he hung on a cross. We're guilty because of sin. Jesus took our guilt upon himself. We're cursed because of sin. Jesus becomes our curse by substituting himself for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Some people, Jerry Bridges said, this is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, 
he made him to be sin, this is speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin. So God put on Jesus our sin to be sin, who knew no sin. He was sinless so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's it's what theologians sometimes call the great exchange. That our, God, Jesus took on our sin and gave to us his righteousness. And so we get clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so when, why, are, is God just, why does God justify us when we have faith in Jesus? Because our faith is in Christ and we're saying, it's on, I can only live because Jesus' righteousness has been applied to me. It's a, an alien righteousness that comes from outside of me, from Jesus, and given to me. So that when God looks at me, he no longer sees sinner, he sees justified. He sees someone who's set free. So Romans 10.10. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, we're going to talk more about faith as we continue, as we look at the faith of Abraham, as we continue to go through Galatians. But what we need to hear right now is when we believe in Jesus, we are declared righteous. It is a legal declaration. It is true. We are no longer condemned for our sins. We are free. Now, I want us to turn, and, and kids, you've been doing a really good job waiting for the story. And here, I want to, here I'm going to get to the story. And how we might, and I want this story to help kind of illustrate how this kind of might kind of help us feel in our daily lives. Because this isn't just some abstract kind of truth out there. I, I think what the argument of the New Testament is, this should affect us how we live. And this illustration does that. It, it comes actually uh, from a man named Addison Leach, who was the second husband of Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot. I think they were only married for about four years before he died of cancer. But here's the story he told. And he said this, he said, about 15 years ago, I was sitting at the dining room table and I was looking out the window and watching five boys fooling around with a BB gun and wondering a little to myself, how long would it be till one of them shot the other in the eye? Now, if you're ever wondering that question, you probably still shouldn't just be sitting there looking. But so he's sitting there, big window, he's watching these boys play with a BB gun. Finally, one of them grabbed the gun to shoot at a little sparrow sitting outside on a tree just outside the dining room window through which I had been watching this whole performance. I could see the whole action unfolding before my eyes. It seemed almost slow motion, uncanny, inevitable. The boy aimed deliberately at the bird. He shot at the bird. He missed the bird and put a hole in the window right in front of me. And away they all ran with me racing out of the house after them. And he says, I didn't catch any of them. Now, in a, he goes on, he says this. He says, in a few days, I had found out that a boy named Dave White had pulled the trigger. Also in a few days, I had paid for the window to be fixed. And then I began to think about Dave. He was evading me at every turn. He would not face me. He had no notion of confessing. In the meantime, the other boys had floated back to games in the vacant lot and in the street at the house, while Dave, the guilty one, was on the outside of this, almost weeping and gnashing his teeth. He would have none of us. 
So I went after him, not to punish him, but to save him. He had to face me in judgment, then in grace. Only then could we renew our fellowship. Only then could I bring him back into the gang. And so I finally caught him alone. And now we stood face to face, about to have it out. The boy was rebellious. He was tense, tight, ready to fight me, ready to run away again. He admitted that he had wronged me. But I gave him the surprising message that the window had already been paid for, that I had no notion of collecting anything from him, but that what really interested me was to know how he could, I could get him to come back to be one of the gang again. I told him over and over again the same old story. The price has been paid. It's all over. Let's be friends. The price has been paid. It's all over. Let's be friends. What a time I had in getting that message through to him. Why? Because he didn't believe me. There's always an unbelievable quality in the wonder of what we call grace. And I love this part. He says this. He says, but I wish you could have seen him when he finally did believe me. What a wonderful look. What a wonderful release of tensions. What a rolling away of the burdens. What newness of life. Now he could quit running. Now he could relax talk about peace of mind, you should have seen that boy. What total commitment he offered me henceforth, and by no request of mine, there was nothing he wouldn't do for me. I just love that story, because it so well illustrates what we've been talking about, about justification. The price has been paid by the only person who could pay the price. There is no more division Let's be friends. That's the grace that God shows to us. And that's the grace that God shows to us that we have such a hard time getting through our minds and through into our hearts. Like the little boy, Dave White, we want so much to kind of just kind of hear it and we think, no, 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 I better watch out. You never know, you gotta watch out, God's gonna get me. Maybe he doesn't fully understand all the things that I've done and so it's so hard, but God just patiently, continually in the pages of scripture, and that's what Galatians is, is Paul continually bringing us back. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's all by grace. We need to hear over and over and over again, the price has been paid for our sins. And the price, the place where the price was paid was at the cross. And it could only be paid by one person, that was Jesus. Because he bore the penalty for our sin he died, and three days later, he rose from the grave. We've been declared righteous when we believe in him. We've been set free. Now, I think there's, I mean, just as I was even reading that illustration there, I was thinking again just how well it fits because it affects how we start to live our lives. If we're really free and it really gets into our minds and we start to understand grace, then of course we want to obey God. Of course we want to follow him. We want to live for him. And that's where we'll go next week. But let me just end thinking about two concepts. And I'll, and I'll use two scriptures that would be good to write down and be thinking about this week. That Paul's linking both of these with justification. And the first of these is peace. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So since we've been justified by faith, since we've been declared righteous, since there is no longer any threat of condemnation hanging over us, what's the result? Second half of the verse, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. What did you bring to your salvation? What did you bring to the table with your salva- for your salvation? Nothing at all. It was all by grace. You believed in Jesus' finished work and you have been saved. And now you have peace with God. You have peace with God such that you know that the moment that you die and your eyelids close in death and you open them in eternity, that you will not face a God with his arms crossed, kind of saying, almost made it. He'll be saying, and his son, his son will be standing there with open arms and saying, I paid the price for you and I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. We have peace with God, which leads us to the next thing that this should bring, justification, assurance. Titus chapter three, verse seven. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So since we've been justified by his grace, we're heirs. We are ones who will inherit the hope of eternal life. And so it's not just when our eyelids close in death that we'll have this hope. It's actually a hope, justification, and the not guilty verdict in our lives now is a hope that should affect our lives in a joy-filled and life-producing and exciting way as we live, because we know no matter what happens, I've been declared innocent. That's why Paul will say in Romans 8, who is that that can condemn? No one. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we've been declared righteous. So it's essential that we understand this word because all of our Christian life hangs on the fact that we understand we have been declared righteous. If you're here this morning and you have never believed in Jesus, you can believe in him today. You can believe in him right now When I pray in just a moment, you can pray in your heart and you can say, I believe in Jesus. Would you forgive me? And you will be declared righteous. You will be innocent and you will have this work of God in your heart and you can have this hope and you can have this assurance and this peace. Just like that little boy who realized the price had been paid that he'd do anything for that old man after that that incident with the window, so now we can also live for Christ. And that's where we're gonna head next week when we look at Galatians 2.20. Let's pray together. Father, I do trust that there are here some here, maybe they're young, they're understanding this truth of what it means to believe. Maybe they're older, maybe someone has sat here their whole, has sat in church their whole life, and yet they've never understood this simple good news of Jesus, that he declares us righteous, and so we are set free. And so, Father, I pray that you would be at work in all of our hearts, whether it's the first day of our salvation or the 900th day of our salvation or the 5,000th day of our salvation. Lord, we can know that it is not because of our efforts. It's only because of Jesus' work on our behalf. 
we are just as justified on the first day as we are on the 5,000th day, as we will be in the, when we've been there 10,000 years worshiping Christ around the throne. It's because of his act, and so we trust in him. We rejoice together, and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship in song.